0: I'd like to wish all of you a happy new year. This is the first Sunday of a brand new year. And by God's grace, he has given us a new year with which to serve him and to worship him together. And this is uh, a great place, a great church family that we are able to do that together with. We're going to go a little bit, I'm going to rearrange the service order slightly here this morning. And we're going to have our prayers for a new year together as a congregation at this time. So I'm just going to give you an opportunity to think about... Um, The things of this past year that you would like to give God praise for, as well as what would be your prayer for a new year? As we've gathered together as a church family, um, what are some of the prayers that you have as you look ahead for a new year? So I want to give you an opportunity just to think about that for a moment. Um, And then we're going to have a time of just prayer together as a church family. And so I'd like to have just a couple of volunteers uh, who would be willing to uh, spend some a few moments here just lifting up our prayers together as a church family? Would I just be able to get a couple of volunteers put up their hands who would be willing to, to pray? Uh, Matt, thank you. As, can I get a few more, just a couple more volunteers who would be willing to pray at the close of our sharing time? Uh, Rocky, thank you. Uh, one more. Is there anyone else who would be willing to pray? Barry, would you be willing to pray thank you? Okay, who wants to go first? What are you what are you thankful for and what would your prayer be for the new year? Who wants to break the ice? Okay. Yeah, and that would be for Praise for how far it's come and prayer for what has yet to happen, right? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Rocky just shared, for those of you who may not heard, that he is thankful for what God's doing at the Christian school and the building project there, and that's something that we can definitely continue to pray for as that comes together. I know it's a big project, so our prayers will continue to be with you. Anyone else? What are you thankful for from last year? okay yeah thank you Brittany she's thankful for you guys just in case you didn't hear that so it is great to be a part of this church family amen to that anyone else that's great to hear Paul seeing as you're in the middle of school that you're thankful for it still that's uh that's a very good sign right on yeah, we're, we're thankful for, uh, for all of our students who are home and are able uh, to be getting education. So we're glad to hear that you are being blessed by that, Paul. Anyone else? All right. Doesn't, doesn't it always? <laughs> yeah. Who else here is thankful for the crop year that we had? few hands went up, that's good. A lot to be thankful for in that regard. Amen. Amen. Mm. Okay, thank you, Jamie. Yeah, a couple of things there praise for protection uh, for for amy's mom in the very uh, serious car accident head-on collision that she was in and also prayer for ongoing uh, recovery for her and then also turtle mountain bible camps has a big building project in the works for this coming year as well so let's continue to lift them and the board up in our prayers as well thanks for that jamie anyone else have something that you would like to share Thank you for that, Harvey. We're thankful that you're here. Yeah. Anyone else? I'd like to ask God to Hmm. Uh, for those of you who may not have heard what Matt shared, just prayer for Ken and Brenda Clausen and for God's continued healing hand on on them. Anyone else? Okay, what is, uh, what is your sister-in-law's name? Sharon, okay. Okay, so that sounds very serious, so definitely that this coming week, remember Nancy's sister-in-law, Sharon, who's undergoing an operation, so remember them. Okay, one more chance. Does anyone else want it to share anything with the church family? something you're thankful for our prayer request for the coming for the coming year my prayer for this coming year is that we as a church family would continue to grow in our witness to this community Um, i believe that is something that is near and dear to god's heart and it's near to my heart that we would continue to grow in our our witness for the love of jesus christ that he has for this town of clarney and I, I really believe that we have yet to see what, what effect that will have on this community, but I believe it will be greater than we can imagine. So that's my prayer for our church. Let's now uh, take this time to go to prayer. So I'd invite you to stand with me together. And uh, the three of you who have said you would pray, just feel free to lead out, Matt, in prayer, and uh, let's spend the next few moments lifting up our, our praise and prayer to our Father in heaven. Lord, thank you for guiding us through another year and for, by your mercy, ushering us into a new year, full, Lord, of new opportunities to give you glory and to see you work in our lives. We thank you, God, that each day is a new gift from you, that the past is behind us and the future with you is ever before us. And so we thank you, God, that you guide us day by day. Thank you, Lord, for your Holy Spirit who speaks to our hearts, Lord, and guides us into your truth. Thank you for your word, which as we live in it day by day, it gives us wisdom and instruction and conviction on how to live our lives in a way that is pleasing to you. We thank you, God, for the way that you have worked in each individual's life who is here today, Lord, and others who are unable to attend in our church family this morning. Lord, there are many prayer items this morning that, had we had the time Had we shared every last one of them, uh, it would have easily filled this hour and more. And yet, Lord, you know each of those prayer requests. And so, Father, the ones that are unsaid, we lift those up to you. And we ask, Lord, for you to undertake for each need. As well, Lord, we want to give you praise for the way that you have undertaken for each need from this past year. That we can look back at many situations from the crops to health issues to everything in between where we said it doesn't look so good. And yet you came through in a wonderful way. And we just give you praise for that. We give you praise, ultimately, Lord, for a new life. For those who have come to faith in you in this past year. For decisions that have been made, Lord. And we just pray that each seed that was planted, Lord, you would safeguard. And that they would grow, Lord, into your likeness. And until the day you call them home. May each of us, Lord, remain faithful and steadfast in our walk with you. May we not fall away. May we not turn to the left or to the right, but help us, Lord, keep our eyes fixed on you. And so we just pray, Lord, that for another year we would keep our eyes fixed on you. As a church family, may we continue to be obedient to what your word tells us. May we increase, Lord, to... Uh, show love to this community, Lord, and to one another. Would you unify our church? Lord, whatever doesn't belong here, Lord, wherever there is discord or disunity, Father, we pray that your spirit of unity would prevail, that harmony would prevail, Lord, and that this church would grow, Lord, in our love for one another and for you. So increase our love, Lord. Pour it out into our hearts and help us to live in that for each day, Lord. We pray that you would continue to add to this church, Lord, those who are being saved, those who are being grown, Lord, into your likeness. And we just pray for this blessing, Lord, for our children as well, that each one of them would come to know and love you. And so we ask all of these things according to your mercy as a good father, a great father who loves us and gives us, Lord, more than we deserve. And yet you do it because you love us. And so we ask, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. (laughs) The sermon is entitled "A, A Simple Resolution for a New Year. Now, some of you might recall that last year, on the first Sunday of January, I stood in this pulpit and I shared a resolution that I had made to put on 10 pounds. I know that seems like a a pretty interesting resolution, but it was not to just put on 10 pounds, it was to put on 10 pounds of solid muscle, and uh, someone was so bold as to ask me at the end of this year how that resolution had come along, and my reply was, well, I came up 3 pounds short, but those 7 pounds, I'm not so sure if they're solid muscle or not, but (laughs) we'll just leave it at that. It is interesting, though, how we always make resolutions, and often we make big, bold resolutions. And yet, sometimes as Christians, um, the simple resolutions are the ones that I think have the most long-lasting effect. And so this morning, I want to give for your consideration a simple resolution. I begin with a story of a man and his wife who were playing golf. They were on the ninth green when suddenly the lady, the wife, collapsed from what appeared to be a heart attack. I need help, she calls out, lying on the green, gasping for air. And so immediately, her husband, he runs off to find help, and a few minutes later, he returns, and he begins to line up his putt. Well, his wife, is lying on the ground, looks over and yells out, what do you think you're doing? And the man replies, don't worry, honey, don't worry, I found a doctor, so I'm just going to finish out my putt while we wait for him. "'But where is the doctor?' the wife asks with all of the strength she can muster. Well, the husband holds his putt, pulls out his driver, walks to the next tee box, drives his ball down the tenth fairway before he comes back to reply, "'Oh, I found a doctor back on the sixth hole.'" Now the exasperated woman is nearly growling through gritted teeth. "'Why isn't he here then? Didn't you tell him it's an emergency?' "'Oh, he won't be very much longer.'" Her husband replied confidently, because it's an emergency, the groups on the seventh and eighth holes have agreed to let him play through. (laughs) He'll be getting here, yeah. Now, if that strikes you as a little bit of a far-fetched story, I assure you that as far as I know, that is a fictional story. At least I hope it is. But it does highlight for us a certain type of urgency that we expect people to have when there is a dangerous or life-threatening situation. We expect that if someone was to have a heart attack, especially if we were to be the one in that situation with a heart attack lying on the ground on the, the ninth green, we would expect that if a doctor was in the premises, he would drop his golf clubs, he would drop whatever it is that he was doing, and that he would immediately rush to our aid, simply because of the situation. You see, urgency and prompt care is something that we simply expect from our doctors and our medical system. However, when that's lacking, we're going to do something about it. In fact, as a community, we're sort of facing a situation similar to that. It's the reason why a few weeks ago on the front page of our Clarny Guide, they ran the story about our local hospital and the shortage of doctors that we're facing. And so... Because of the need and because of the community saying, this is important, we need to have top-notch medical care, and we need to have it in a way that it's there when we need it. We don't want to have to wait for it. We don't want to have to travel to another community. We want to have it here in our hospital. And so it laid out the steps that the town council is taking in an attempt to remedy the situation and to bring more doctors to our community. Urgency. This is something that we expect For a situation that is dire. And the urgent need for doctors and medical aid in the physical realm is something that we see mirrored almost precisely in the spiritual realm as well. I want you to turn with me one more time to Matthew chapter 9 and let's look at this passage again quickly this morning. Matthew chapter 9 and verses 9 to 13. Here we read the account of Jesus calling Matthew the tax collector. Beginning in verse 9, as Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, follow me. So he arose and followed him. Now it happened as Jesus sat at the table in the house, that behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to his disciples, why does your, ta- uh, your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard that, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners, to repentance. Now there's a number of things that we learn from this very interesting passage. The first I want to draw to your attention is how Jesus viewed himself. Jesus viewed himself as a doctor, caring for the needs of sick people. Now of course we know that Jesus spent a huge portion of his ministry physically healing people from all sorts of ailments and diseases. But though he healed people physically on the outside, he also pointed to the greater need for healing that was required on the inside. We see that clearly in this account. Where the people that Jesus was talking about were not physically sick, but spiritually sick. Jesus knew that ultimately spiritual sickness is far more dangerous than physical sickness. Because though physical sickness leads to physical death, spiritual sickness leads to spiritual death, which is eternal separation from God. And so Jesus viewed his primary role as being that of a doctor, caring for the spiritually sick, and that is exactly how he spent the majority of his time. This aspect of Jesus' life and the way that he practiced his life, the way that he spent his time, it is extremely important for us to recognize, especially when we consider that the primary pursuit of the Christian life is to imitate Jesus in all that we do. We say this again and again, that to be a Christian is to follow in Jesus' footsteps. We ask questions like, what would Jesus do? And we try to model ourselves after him. And so if we are to do that properly, we must learn from his example, and we have to look at exactly the way that Jesus behaved. Our call to worship from Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2 says, Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. So if Jesus viewed himself as a doctor, as someone whose primary role in life and the way that he spent his time was to go out and meet people's needs both physically and more so spiritually, and if we are to imitate Christ, let me ask you, how do you view yourself? How do you view your role in this world? Do you see yourself as a doctor? Do you look in the mirror and think of yourself as a physician, as someone whose primary role in this life is to help others physically and more so spiritually is that how you see yourself you see if you are a follower of Jesus Christ then that is exactly how God wants you to view yourself unfortunately many Christians don't view themselves this way for many it's because they believe that job is reserved for the so-called professional Christians those who do it for a full-time occupation like pastors like Christian counselors, like missionaries. The Bible teaches, however, that every Christian is a minister, and that every Christian is divinely gifted for a specific ministry. Now, I may be the senior pastor of this church, but I am certainly not the only minister in this church. Did you catch that? I'm a minister, but I'm not the only minister here. In fact, I'm looking out today at dozens of ministers within this church body. Do you see yourself as a minister? Do you see yourself as someone who has a role to minister to others? In Ephesians chapter 4, just a chapter earlier, we're given some insight into some of the various spiritual gifts that God gives to his followers and how they are to function together within the church body. In verse 11 we read, He gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers. And then verse 12... For the equipping of the saints for the works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up. Notice that it is given to everyone the works of service. The pastor's and teacher's primary job is to equip the saints to fulfill that role of service, of ministry to others. This is the main point that Paul is making in this passage, is that the job description of every saint, that's every single believer, is to be involved in the work of the ministry. It's not only the responsibility of the so-called professional Christians, like missionaries, pastors, and teachers, to do the works of service. It is everyone, everyone who is a part of the church. And he goes on to say that the result of this will be the building up of the body of Christ. You see, Jesus, he healed and saved you, so that you could bring healing and salvation to others. Jesus viewed himself as a doctor to the sick, and if we are followers of his, if we bear his name as Christians, then that is how we are to view ourselves as well. The second thing we want to learn from this passage this morning is that Jesus didn't wait for the sick to come to him. He went to them. I want you to take note of where this story unfolds. Notice that it's not in the temple or in the synagogue. It begins at a tax collector's booth and then proceeds to a dinner party at the tax collector's house, which includes other tax collectors and a group of notorious people that are simply labeled as sinners. Sinners basically just encompasses everyone that the religious people would have viewed as unsavory, the sort of people they don't want to hang around because they can't go through all of the rituals required to go into the temple to do sacrifices. And so anyone who couldn't do that, according to them, were just sinners. It was a blanket term that applied to everyone who did not live up to their specific uh, religious rituals. And so here we see Jesus not in the church, not in the synagogue, not in the temple. He's going out into the streets to find a tax collector at his tax booth. Now, as we consider this, to our ears today, it may not sound all that scandalous, that Jesus went to a tax collector or that Jesus went to a tax collector's house for a dinner party. But in that day, the scenario could have hardly got any worse. In fact, it was so bad that the Pharisees were indignant, they were, they were literally red in the face, clenching their fists. They just couldn't figure out why a rabbi would go to such, uh, such a party. To go associate with that sort of people was unheard of. They were indignant. They were outraged. And we don't even have a modern comparison that would adequately convey for us today how how infuriated the Pharisees were at this, how many religious and cultural taboos Jesus was breaking in these actions he was taking. If you start to conjure up in your mind an equivalent scenario today, you would have to get to the point of saying that Jesus called up a local drug pusher and then he calls the guy up and he takes him out and he goes with him to the bar for supper. And not only that, but then the guy calls all of his, his druggy friends to join at the bar for supper. That's the kind of scenario that's being painted here. This is why the Pharisees are so outraged. Jesus is doing something unthinkable to them. And so if we think about it in those terms today of, of someone associating with drug dealers and going to the bar to have dinner with them... We're getting closer to the sort of feeling that these religious leaders had. It was scandalous. Tax collectors were traitors to their own people. They collaborated with the occupying Roman forces to squeeze as much money out of the Jews as they possibly could, and on top of that, they were notorious cheaters. The story later on about Zacchaeus illustrates that for us. They were notorious for tax fraud, which was taking more tax money than was even rightful to take which was a lot already, and then they pocketed the extra that they would tax from the people. And so for all of these reasons and more, tax collectors were hated. They were looked down upon. People, if they got a chance, would spit on them. Those who were considered zealots would try to assassinate them. And in fact, many tax collectors had personal bodyguards because their lives were often in jeopardy. And so as we think about this, the Pharisees we begin to understand their thinking a little bit more clearly of why they're so upset about Jesus' behavior. They couldn't understand why. Why would Jesus seek out someone like that? And not only seek him out, but go to his house and spend time with him. And spend time with his equally undesirable friends. Why? Why did Jesus do it? Jesus did it. Because he looked past their outer faults and he saw their need. Jesus looked past the outer trappings of the lowest job in their entire society and he saw through to the spiritual sickness that had gripped these men's hearts. These were men in need of a doctor. And remember how Jesus viewed himself he viewed himself as a doctor. And who was he going to go to but people in need of a doctor? That is why Jesus went to the lowest people in society. That is why he went to Matthew's house. People needed spiritual healing, and Jesus knew that he was the one who could give it to them. And so Jesus went. He sought them out. He was urgent about it. He didn't wait for them to come to him. No, he went to them, and he went right to their house. One of the amazing things about this story is we see that even Jesus took a step further that he didn't just go to Matthew's house. He actually called Matthew to follow him. And so we know that Matthew became Jesus' disciple. And in case you didn't notice, the title of this book that we're reading this story from, it bears his name. It's no coincidence that this story is given in the book of Matthew. Because Matthew went on to become an apostle. And he recorded this story of how Jesus called him. Jesus reached out to him. In his state as a tax collector, he saw his need. He looked past all of the things that everyone else would have said, disqualified him, and he gave him salvation that day. And I want you to know that if you're here today and you think that you've done something in your life that disqualifies you from receiving salvation, that would disqualify you from coming into God's presence, I want you to look at Matthew and understand nothing disqualifies you from the love of Jesus Christ. Jesus reached out to Matthew, no matter what he had done in the past, no matter how many people he had cheated or betrayed, Jesus looked past, he saw his need, and he said, follow me. And that same offer is out for every last one of us. Jesus looks past whatever you've done, and he says, follow me. Will you turn away from your sin? Will you receive me? Let me heal you, and I will give you a new life. Matthew's example shows us that no one is beyond hope. Jesus' invitation is for everyone. And we need to follow Jesus' example in this as Christians and how we behave towards others as well. I believe that we as Christians often fail in our witness because we skip this all-important example that our Lord has given us. We continuously invite people to come to our events. We invite people to come to our church services, but how often do we, like Jesus, seek them out? How often do we join them in their homes, in their places of business? You see, our Lord has showed us an important truth. Before others will come and break bread with us, we must go and break bread with them. Jesus went into the house of Matthew and broke bread with him. He did this before Matthew came and joined him. We must go break bread with others before we can expect them to come and break bread with us. Some of you will recall something that happened here in our church a few weeks back in our communion service. You might remember that there was a visitor we had to our church, a gentleman, who was here sitting right over there, and when the communion, time for communion came, he stood up and asked if visitors were welcome to partake in communion, and I, of course, assured him that everyone who is a believer in Jesus Christ is welcome at the Lord's table, and he thanked me for that, and he joined in it, and after the service, he spoke with me, and he told me that he was on a mission It's an interesting statement to introduce yourself with, to say, I'm on a mission. And I said, Okay, tell me more. What's your mission? And so he he outlined for me a rather interesting story. I won't give you all of the details, but the gist of it the gist of the story was he had an adopted daughter that he had adopted since birth. In that time, since his, his daughter was now in her mid teens, she had learned who her birth mother was her biological mother, and over this span of time, she had also learned that her biological mother had passed away, but that in the interim, she had other siblings out there, half-siblings, who she had learned there was three others, and she had a heart for them. She knew that these siblings of hers were not growing up in a Christian home. She knew that they didn't know the Lord, and they hadn't had an opportunity to attend church or go to Sunday school or anything like that, And so in her heart for her siblings, she began to pray that they would somehow be touched by the love of God. The thing was, though, they didn't even know where they lived. All they knew was that the father who was left behind and the three children lived somewhere in B.C. And so somehow he had caught wind that this family had moved to Clarny. And so he didn't know where they lived. He didn't know any details. But all he knew was that they lived in Clarny. And so that morning, this man had woke up with this on his heart that he wanted to somehow show this family, his adopted daughters, half-siblings, the love of Christ that day. And so he got up and he drove to Clarney, and he didn't know what his plan was. He just knew that he was going to drive to Clarney. And on his way to Clarney, he, he remembered in the back of his mind that someone had mentioned something about this church. And so he decided to come to this church. Of all the churches in town, he picked this one. And he came and sat right over there, and he passed along this, this mission. He gave me the man's name. He said, I don't know where he lives. But he wrote out a sizable check, and he handed it to me, and he said, Would you be able to track this man down and pass this along for me? And I'm just thinking, this is the most bizarre thing I've ever had across my plate, you know, right after a service. But I'm just thinking to myself, wow, this is, this is good. There was something about this that was so good. It was, it was so clearly something led by the Spirit of God that here was a simple simple request that this daughter had. She didn't know where her half-siblings were, but she knew that God loved them, and she wanted to show them that in some way. And this father wants to do something about it, and so he was willing to go out on a limb, go out and seek this guy out in some way, and he comes here, and he passes this check off to me. And it took me a little while, and, and there was some sleuthing and some other people who helped me out, before I could track this man down but I finally did and it happened on Christmas Eve and I don't know the timing of all of these things only God knows them but I managed to track this guy down meet him in his doorstep on Christmas Eve and pass this off to him and I let him know about our church I let him know about our church family I invited him to come to the Christmas Eve service that night with his family they didn't come that night and I, I, I so badly wanted them to come. I saw the, the little five-year-old boy that was behind his leg in the house that day. I said, there's candy bags here, and that perked his eyes up. But obviously, it wasn't quite enough. But all I can believe and know is that through these actions, a seed has been planted. A connection has been made because of a man who lives out somewhere near Snowflake, decided that he was going to go on a mission that Sunday morning to seek out this family. Isn't that what Jesus is doing here? Was it convenient for him to drive all the way out here? No, it wasn't overly convenient. Did it cost him something? Yeah, he wrote out a, a sizable check as well, in addition to his time and his gas driving here. But something in his heart, motivated by love, said, I'm going to go out of my way and I'm going to seek out this family and I'm going to trust that there's other Christians in this town who I can entrust this mission to. And he came here and he entrusted this mission to us. And now, what am I going to do to continue to reach out to this family? What am I going to do to continue that mission of love that he started that were begun by the prayers of his daughter? This is what I believe God wants for us in this coming year. Is to say we're going to stop waiting for people just to come to us. We're going to start going to them we're going to start going on missions. And that maybe we won't look with big eyes when someone says, I'm on a mission. Because we are. There's people all around us who need to be touched by the love of God in a tangible way. And who knows what God's going to do in that family, but I believe in a God who works miracles. I believe in a God who brings about resurrections from the dead. So how big of a stretch is it to believe that God wants to bring salvation to that family? And I want to invite you to pray along with me that salvation would come to that family, that God's love would come to that family. And I believe that there are a lot more families and individuals in this town in situations very similar to that who need someone to go to them. To not just wait for them to, to stumble in our doors, but to seek them out just as Jesus sought out Matthew. I believe that the story is not yet finished. And I think I'm going to have some more to share with you about that story. That's what I'm believing for. That's what I'm praying for. And I want to invite you to pray along with me. And I just want to encourage you to think about the people in your life, people you already know, who you could show love to in some tangible way. Seek them out. Luke chapter 19, verse 10, Jesus said this of himself, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. If God just waited for us to come to him, we would have never gone. He sought us out in our need. That is the rescue mission that Jesus went on, and now he has passed the baton on to us. We can't just sit back and wait for the sick, the lost, and the hurting to come to us. We must show them what Jesus looks like through our actions and through our lives. And then finally, the third and perhaps the most important lesson we can learn from this story is that Jesus did not pass judgment, but Jesus showed mercy. You see, the Pharisees had already passed judgment on Matthew and his other tax collector buddies a long, long time ago. And they wanted to take it a step further and then pass judgment on Jesus for simply associating with people like them. Now, there's something about passing judgment on others that comes so easily to us as humans that we are constantly caught up in judging each other about everything, from behavior to motives, everything in between, and we tend to do it very quickly. We pass judgment just like that. There's a story from the Old West of a judge and a lawyer who were riding along on horseback one day across this open stretch of country when they saw a noose hanging from a tree. And the judge turned to the lawyer and jokingly said, if those gallows had their due, where do you suppose you would be right now? And the young lawyer spurred his horse a few feet forward, then turned back to the judge and said, I'd be riding alone. (laughs) Isn't that our attitude most of the time? When it comes to passing judgment, we're quick to pass the judgment, point the blame to others. But how often will we realize the judgment that we deserve. And Jesus was very plain on this when it comes to judgment. Again, in the book of Matthew, chapter 7, verses 1 and 2, I don't believe it's a coincidence that Matthew was the one who recorded this teaching of Jesus when Jesus said, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. The act of passing judgment on someone else implies that you yourself are in a morally superior position. The Pharisees believed that they were in the morally superior position to pass judgment on Matthew, and then even Jesus for associating with them. But what they failed to recognize is that if the gallows had their due, they would be swinging right alongside the tax collectors. Sure, they looked good on the outside... But on the inside, they were every bit as spiritually ill as the tax collectors, if not worse. The only difference between them and Matthew is that Matthew knew he needed salvation, but the Pharisees wrongly believed that they already earned it by their good behavior. You see, the Pharisees were just as guilty of failing to show mercy as the tax collectors were at failing to offer sacrifices in the temple. And which of the two does Jesus say is more important to God? He says it plain as day. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. God desires mercy more than he desires sacrifice. God desires that you would go out and extend mercy to others more than he desires you putting money in the offering plate. It's not to say they're not both important, but if you are to put a hierarchy on things as far as what is pleasing to God, God desires that we would be a people that show mercy that we would be a people who are quick to do it and not quick to pass judgment. So what about us? Are we quick to show mercy or are we quick to pass judgment? When people come to break bread with us in this fellowship, do we welcome them with compassion and warmth as Jesus did? Or do we sit back and pass judgment on their faults that we can see on the outside, just like the Pharisees did of Matthew? You need to remember that the church is not a museum for saints, It's a hospital for sinners. If you're here this morning and you think anything else about what the church is here for, let me tell you straight right now. We're not here to show off our good deeds to each other. No, we're here because we all recognize that we need the great physician. I am here because I'm a sinner who has received salvation from Jesus Christ, and I'm up here to tell you, That you can find healing in Jesus Christ. That's why I'm here. And I hope that's why you're here as well. We can pass judgment all we want. But at the end of the day, Jesus says that the measure we use to pass judgment on others is the same measure that will be used to judge us. So which one are we going to choose? Let us choose mercy. Let us be like Jesus. This is my heart's desire that God has placed for this first Sunday of a new year. A vision for a new year, a simple vision that we would desire to be more like Jesus. That we would desire to walk more closely in his footsteps. That just as we saw in this example, that we would seek people out who need healing and that we would see ourselves as those who are called to bring that healing, to bring love in tangible ways, and to trust that God is doing his work. May that be our vision for this church family. May we see ourselves as doctors and ministers with an urgent mission, one that can't wait to bring Jesus into the lives of people right around us in this town of Clarny. And if we do this simple thing, my friends, I believe that God will do the big thing. I believe that if we are obedient in the small things, God will show us the great things that he has yet to do in this town and in this church body. So may that be our heart's desire as we enter a new year, to be more like Jesus in every single day. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you are a God of mercy more than a God of judgment. For, Lord, if the gallows had their due, we are all deserving of judgment. But because of your great love, we are not consumed. Great is thy faithfulness. O Lord, we have seen your mercy anew here this morning. We thank you that you have forgiven us of our sins through Jesus Christ. That you didn't wait for us to come to you, but you sought us out in our sin. Just like you sought out Matthew. And you said, follow me follow me. I will heal you. I will give you salvation. And so, Lord, we thank you that for as many as have heard that call and received it, we can be counted as children of God. But now, Lord, as your children, you have passed the baton on to us, that we would be like your son, the Lord Jesus, to seek and to save those who are lost by your power at work within us. So, Lord, as we enter a new year, may we do so joyfully. May we do so with urgency, May we redeem the time, Lord, that you have given us until you call us home or you return. May we be living lives that reflect your Son in all that we say or do. For your glory we pray in Jesus' name.